Now, it's a climb to the top. Stories of transformation with Chuck Garcia. Chuck Garcia has climbed some of the world's highest peaks. Chuck Garcia. He's an executive coach. He's a professor at Columbia, LIU. He climbs mountains. He does it all. Chuck Garcia. Yesterday, I was clever and wanted to change the world. Today, I am wise and want to change myself. I'm Chuck Garcia. Welcome to A Climb to the Top, Stories of Transformation. Every Sunday, we feature individuals from all walks of life who have overcome adversity, career challenges, and life's unexpected obstacles. With each guest, we discuss their tale of transformation that helped them to climb their personal mountains of happiness and success. Stories from A Climb to the Top inspire, motivate, and help ignite your transformation so that you may help others to ignite theirs. Keep listening to Talk Radio 77 WABC or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and review this podcast and tell us what you think and leave a five-star review. And now, Chuck Garcia. Knowing others takes intelligence. Knowing yourself takes true wisdom. Mastering others takes strength. Mastering yourself takes true power. I'm Chuck Garcia. Welcome to A Climb to the Top, Stories of Transformation on Talk Radio 77 WABC. I state that quote, which is a Chinese proverb, because it brings us to this evening's guest. Tony Fiorino is CEO at Fio Entertainment, where they identify, evaluate, and develop projects in both film and television. I start with that proverb because, Tony, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I feel like what you have done in your whole career is two things. Knowing and mastering others, which is one, and doing that in search of talent, in search of making a film project, and seeking to master others. But what I love about this, throughout all of that, you learned how to master yourself. I would argue I'm still still on that journey, but uh, it, it's certainly important. Well, I would say we're all works in progress, but welcome to A Climb to the Top. It's great to have you here. It's a real pleasure to be here with you, Chuck. Thank you. And tell, tell us your back. Tell the listeners, where'd you come from? Well, um, I'll, I'll cut to the important stuff. Uh, at a very young age, I was recruited to become a member of an executive search firm. Uh, it was called Ramsey Byrne Associates, and our charter was to build startup software companies at the time, because this was the late 80s. Um, we cut our teeth, we made our bones, and call it whatever you like, but uh, you know, our lives changed forever one day when we were invited, um, I think it was the uh, Peninsula Hotel right here in Manhattan, and uh, we sat down uh, with two gentlemen, John Doerr, who was for many, many years the god of the venture capital world at Kleiner Perkins, and a guy named Jim Clark. And um, many of your listeners and viewers know that name. Long story short, they spent two hours trying to describe to us what a browser was going to be. So they basically were founding Netscape, and they asked us to find their CEO. Long story short, we brought in Jim Barksdale, who had been with Macaw, had been with FedEx, basically ran major, major organizations. And he became the first captain of industry to go do an internet startup when nobody knew what an internet startup was. People didn't know what the internet was. 
So when we pulled that one off, uh, before and, we, and where did you fit into that equation? I was just one of the partners of the firm at that time. Okay. And the, the beauty of it was once we got that done, we became the go-to guys for the internet because again, no one else had done internet. So my partners and I were very fortunate to have built the original management teams at Amazon when they were just selling books online. That was their business model. We built the entire management team, including the CEO at E-Trade when they were just doing $5 trades. They were not a major global bank. Um, brought in the first CEO to Priceline. Uh, we built the whole, I mean, you name it, including rubberdogpoop.com because everybody was scrambling to go out and get public and people were making money hand over fist. So we kind of lit the fuse to the internet and then we kind of watched it start to crash. And then uh, I'm really shortcutting the story. We made a lot of money and we kind of just said, you know what, let's just declare ourselves the winners. Let's go home. And uh, at the time I was 30, 31 years old. Um, my wife informed me way before I realized it that having me around every day, all day, wasn't everything it was cracked up to be. And so I started to think about, you know, what is, what is my passion? What, what do I want to go do with my life? So after a short stint of continuing executive search, which I thought I loved, I liked it a lot, I found out what I really loved. And that was the entertainment business, or I shouldn't say the entertainment business, entertainment. Film and television always got me excited, and I was always enamored with how that business worked. So I cut my teeth on uh, a couple of small television shows. In fact, you know, I, I, I was part of the founding team that brought one of my childhood favorites back to, uh, to television. And um, we'll discuss kind of the, the pitfalls of, of chasing some of your dreams. Uh, I also did a small uh, independent film. And then um, one of my investment partners just said, you know, you're doing some really cool stuff. Uh, why are you doing it for other people who don't have your best interest? In well, mind? give me a moment, Tony, to bridge a gap here. Here you're in the executive search business, getting to know talent, mastering the talent with respect to the mission of the organization. And you must have developed a skill set that either was or maybe it wasn't transferable to this other arc that you're now describing. What were they? Well, the biggest one, and, and I'm glad you asked, the most important thing I learned, especially doing CEO searches and interacting with CEOs and boards of directors in the venture capital community, I, I learned that the, the best and brightest CEOs, they tend to surround themselves with the best and the brightest they can find. And in many cases, actually in most cases, my CFO has to be obviously smarter than me when it comes to the finance and treasury side of the business. My, my head of engineering has to be light years ahead of me. So uh, I guess understanding and, and realizing the humility that exists at the CEO level was, was, was astounding. So as I went to start FIO, I've done exactly the same thing. You know, I joke that it's not that hard to find, but I want to find people that are just smarter. I want to surround myself with people smarter than me. Let me expand on one thing. This is an interesting one because your point, particularly when it comes to leadership of these very successful and famous companies, we tend to think of leadership, or at least many people do, if they're not close to it the way you were, as leadership is more hubris and hyperbole, and you mm. hear a lot, yet you say it's something else. It is. It's, 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 uh, humility is, is a general catch-all that I use, but it's got to be an appreciation. And when you started the show and said mastering others, um, I, I know you read that kind of verbatim from a, from a proverb, but when the day is done, mastering is a tough one. I think for me at least, and the people that I appreciate and respect, 
It is an appreciation for the others and making them understand how important they are to the equation. Right. So um, mastering almost kind of denotes like you have the ability to manipulate. And, you know, my daughters are good at it. I'm not. <laughs> but I, I do truly... Uh, have an appreciation for those who help me achieve my goals. And so, again, just surrounding myself with those people and following the lead of other CEOs who have done that, um, it's hard. you'll be hard-pressed to find a world-class CEO who doesn't have that sense of humility, at least when it comes to the people with whom they surround themselves. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll infuse this with a quote by the late, great Ernest Hemingway, who said, when it related to any profession, we are all apprentices in a profession of which none of us will ever master. And I suspect in your projects as you were helping others, developing others, and now the need to master whatever it is you were working on, we're all just apprentices. And you now are in a new world, and you're an apprentice in a world that is foreign to you? Completely. Well, I should say was. Yeah. It's, it's still a little foreign to me. Yeah, that's a transformation. Talk about that. Well, the transformation was, you know, how do I, I looked at the traditional entertainment business model. And uh, obviously, it, you can argue that what ain't broke, you don't fix. But there was, I really believed, and I still do, that there's, there's a way to do it a little bit better, uh, to incorporate that appreciation for all the disparate parts that go into making any film or TV show successful. And, uh, you know, I count myself uh, almost blessed to have met some amazing people. Um, Smarter pro- than you. Uh, thanks for reminding <laughs> me. Um, but, uh, for example, Al Cafaro, who was the CEO of A&M Records. He personally managed Sting through the height of his career. He is on my board of directors. He's one of my favorite people in the world. Um, Sam Sokolow and our amazing partners at Nice Media Studios, with whom we just announced uh, we optioned uh, the New York Times bestseller from Walter Isaacson on the life of Ben Franklin. We're turning that into a uh, a miniseries. Congratulations. Uh, Thank you. Uh, Fingers crossed. It's an amazing story that most people still don't know most of. And then I was fortunate to bring in... uh, R.J. Bucciaria and uh, his team at Prolific Media. Um, and again, I sit there and every Monday on our board calls, I just say, guys, <clears throat> what can I learn today? And the, and the good news is what I brought to them and this way to switch up this entertainment model, uh, so far they've fallen in love with. And I'm still waiting for people to poke holes in it. And I'm, we're not going to disclose the secret sauce today. But suffice to say, between advertisers and sponsors and network partners financiers, producers, directors, there is this ecosystem that exists. And traditionally, it has been a survival of the fittest. And I I shouldn't say I learned, I believed almost overly ambitiously that there's a way for these pieces to all coexist in a manner that each benefits the other and also gains from each other's success. And no one piece is more important than the other, not the least of which is me. So far, so good. But we've got a lot of work ahead of us. You are listening to A Climb to the Top, Stories of Transformation. I'm Chuck Garcia, and with me this evening is Tony Fiorino, our guest. Tony, I love everything you're saying, but what I suspect, and I hope you can shed some light on this, people came into your life throughout the course of what you're describing as a transformation, some for the better, some for the worst, but I suspect there were lessons you learned along the way. (laughs) Help us understand in the transition some of those people and what our listeners can learn from that. Well, I think most importantly is uh, I've always had this mentality, and as a father of three who are all college-age kids, um, I learned the hard way that you, you can either learn from your mistakes or they can literally just smother you into submission. And um, 
while I alluded to some of the earlier things I did in my career, uh, I purposely held back because I had a feeling you were going to ask me about those. When we were bringing that children's show that I grew up with, and I'm not going to say the name, <laughs> but when it came time to bring that to the air, it was a passion project. And I would also caution young executives to be cautious about passion projects because you can be blinded by your passion. I was. And this was not when I was in my 20s. This is when I was in my 40s. Mm-hmm. And long story short, I uh, committed to the show. I wore more hats than anybody else. Um, I was going to say I would argue, but there's no argument. If not for me, that show doesn't get back on the air. And I did it all on a handshake. And now most of your listeners are cringing because they probably know how this story ends. I did it on a handshake. Um, I literally put over two years of my life into it without taking a salary, Hmm. Uh, the promise of equity and a salary. And in spite of all your years in executive search where nothing gets done without a document being signed, you took a leap of faith. Or a leap of stupidity. But I'll say leap of faith because a faith is a belief in something when you have no evidence behind it. And that's exactly what that was. And I would caution people not to take leaps of faith. Calculate the risk as much as you possibly can and make sure that the risk is worth the reward and vice versa. So what I will tell you is in the course of bringing this TV show back to um, television, uh, that's where I met the folks at Prolific Media. In fact, they were geared up to put in the capital for this program. And it was right around that time when I said, okay, I'm about to make a bunch of other people really successful and put a lot of money in their pockets. So now it's time to put this down in writing. And that's when I got the, uh, the wonderful news that what was promised to me wasn't going to be given to me. Mm. Um, now, again, I think those people were morons because when the day is done, wait until I bring in the capital, then... <laughs> yeah, but there, there's, to, there, there's a bigger lesson here. Try, try to drag me out a little bit more if you want. Yeah. Uh, and it was a little bit heartbreaking because, again, I was emotionally attached to that show and I didn't have a proper risk profile associated to that. Mm. So right around the time where I was done licking my wounds on that one, I was approached by somebody, uh, another friend of a friend. Uh, it a- actually, it's a much closer relationship, and so I'm not going to get into the specifics. Mm-hmm. But I was asked, please come help me produce this independent film that I'm doing. And uh, this is the part where you're really going to cringe. So again, on a handshake, <laughs> uh, I said yes. You stepped into the same pothole. Uh, you would think this one would be different. But you know better than me, and, and probably most of your listeners know better than me, they are, they are no different. Right. No matter how close you are to somebody, uh, there's nothing wrong with, if we're doing this, this is how we're going to go do it. And that's mm-hmm. a piece of advice I your, would give your to se- anybody. Your second leap. My second leap uh, off a, 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 another cliff, a, a, a shorter cliff, but a cliff nonetheless. Mm-hmm. And um, when it came time to, uh, I put together the teaser and the trailer, which is the stuff that we would be pitching to the film uh, co-production companies and, and for distribution. When that was done, uh, I literally set up a million dollar in profit opportunity internationally. Mm-hmm. So I thought we're off to the races. Um, in this case, I, you know, as I put together the verbal terms, and I had the emails to back it up. This at least was kind of in writing. Um, communication stopped. And then I find out through um, social media that the film had started production while I'm waiting for my deal to be done. So at least I was on the right path to get a deal done, but hosed nonetheless. Uh, Now, why do I tell this story? It's not to impress anybody because it's not impressive, but it is told to impress upon people that I could have and really spent, I I had my pity party. I was devastated because I got hosed by two people that you can argue were friends. Obviously they weren't, and at Mm -hmm. the time they really weren't. But my point was, 
when, when you're living in a glass house and it shatters, you, you have to search the debris and you have to take with you what you can. And that's when, you know, RJ Bucaria from Prolific um, gave me a little bit of a dose of, hey, stop feeling sorry for yourself. Hmm. You got some really good stuff here. Just start your own production company. And at the time, and in some ways still, the idea was so foreign to me because I have no idea. I had no clue what it would take. You must have had no frame of reference on how to make it work because the two leaps that you took neither worked for whatever reason. Well, so here you are. You decided then, you know what? I'm just going to draw a line. Let me, based on what you've learned so far, and there's a lot of lessons here, the yep. people side, not even the, the creative or the production side. Oh, yeah. Yet you were willing to say, okay, I learned from those mistakes. Mm -hmm. I suspect this wasn't going to happen a third time. Well, I, well, here's the good news about starting your own. Um, the ball is, is for, the, for, the, for the most part, in your court. Yep. And it, unfortunately, for the people who I have around me who I trust implicitly, um, it's like the, the girl who gets dumped in high school three times in a row. Good luck to that next guy who says, just trust me. So to the credit, and the reason I mention them all by name is these are people who uh, I do trust implicitly. Uh, but they had to, we had to go on a lot of dates before we could consummate those relationships. And uh, the good news is we have. So the exciting part for me was I, I told all of them, um, we do this, we're doing it my way. And we're only going to do it in a manner that just breeds success and success that we can share with our partners. Uh, it's, a, it's a cutthroat business, and there's not a lot of helping each other out that occurs. We, we've built something now that is really predicated upon everyone pulling their own weight and only having their own success if they help the other four or five people around that table have success. So far, Tony, this begs an obvious question. Was, were things done on a handshake? Or were agreements signed before you started climbing these mountains? Um, well, the, the first two mountains turned out to be cliffs, mm -hmm. where there was, there was nothing in writing. Nothing there. Uh, now everything is in writing. So what's the lesson to our, our listenership? Put, put, put everything in writing. <laughs> put everything in writing. I don't care writing. if you're starting a lemonade stand and your mom's giving you the five bucks to start it. You have to put everything in writing. And if somebody hesitates about putting something in writing, uh, this is where I sound like the jilted lover. It means their intention is at some point to try to get over on you. Right. No, I got it. But your point also, I think there's a really important lesson here. Your passion brought you so close to the project, you were either unable or unwilling to look at, it, look at this dispassionately. Oh, I, I agree completely. There was, uh, I was overwhelmed and overcome with passion for these projects because I'm the type of guy, when I, when, if I know I can have success with something, uh, I work 24-7 and nothing – I bet your listeners would be really hard-pressed to try to remember a point in their life where they knew they were going to succeed or better yet, had to succeed and didn't. Mm -hmm. the, the key is getting yourself involved in those situations, whether it's your career choices, uh, the, the, your life choices. You have to put yourself in that situation where it is the no-lose situation. Mm -hmm. And I was, like I said, I was somewhat blinded by the outside, well, I say outside influences. They really weren't. They were very internal. But they were just so disconnected from the part that I knew I could make a success. And by the way, I did. I made them successful. I could have made them a lot more successful. But, you know, again, you know, I'm not a, I don't believe that karma exists, but boy, there's sure a lot of evidence that you can make that argument. Wow, these are fascinating lessons. Now, here you are. Mm -hmm. You are climbing a different mountain. You have learned a lot of 
things, because experience, I suspect, with you, as it is with me, is the name we give to our mistakes. What else do we tell our listeners to either avoid, so we can put it in two camps, what to avoid, or even going back to your executive recruiting days, what do you tell the 27-year-old who's listening to this or watching us, who is thinking about, hey, I'd really like to do what Tony is doing? Mm-hmm. What advice are we going to give? Um, I'm biased, <clears throat> so let's start with that. Yep. But I can tell you, if, if anyone listening, coming out of school or early in their career, has the ability to perform executive search at the CEO level or mm-hmm. reports to the CEO, it's... It, I can't imagine where else I would have gotten those skill sets. Mm. It, was, it was like having a mentor. Every, every project, you had a new mentor that brought something new to the equation. And, and it was like this, uh, you know, I forgot the name, Apex Tech. There were these commercials <laughs> during you know, uh, well, our old TV show. And yeah. you learned, they teach you how to use a tool. And then when you finish it, you put it in the toolbox and you have it forever. That's the way I viewed those. And I learned so much. Um, I... Find mentors, I guess, is really the – not everybody's going to get to go do CEO searches. Right. So find mentors. And you probably know this a lot better than I do. There are very few very accomplished executives who don't get completely – flattered isn't the right word, but they're so amenable to mentoring. Indeed. I think a lot of people are afraid even to approach them. And that's the problem. And what they find is when they do approach him, oh, my God, this guy was all right. Regular guy. Yeah, regular gal. grew up like us, just <laughs> – Exactly. So, I mean, I think the most important thing for any young professional or anybody, I mean, like I said, I surrounded myself with a bunch of mentors and I'm, I'm in my 50s. Mm-hmm. Find mentors. And by the way, if one of them slams a door in your face, they'll forget. If they're, if they can, if they're capable of slamming a door in your face, they're not going to remember you. You could even go work at that company in a year from now. They won't even remember you. But find mentors. And, you know, be respectful of their time, obviously, and be very gracious, but learn everything you can. People who have become accomplished in their careers love sharing those. They're not secrets, but they, they, let's call them the secrets that everyone thinks they are. Right. They're so open to sharing those. And, and what you learn from the actual experiential side of that is nothing you can learn in a textbook, nothing you can get through an MBA. Indeed. Well, now you are developing these film projects. Correct. Film and and television. Interestingly enough, I don't know if you're aware of this, but Ben Franklin talked about something called The Good Life. (laughs) And The Good Life is he separates our arcs into four buckets. In your 20s, he encourages the youth back in 1776, but I would think it would apply today. Be the apprentice. Learn your craft. In your 30s, this is the time in your life to start building your wealth, making a little bit of extra money, start to... Stick it away. In your 40s, you're assuming leadership positions if all goes well. And in your 50s, he talks about dedicating your life in the service of others. Mm-hmm. You have followed that arc, have you not? I didn't even know it. How you about did, that? and now you know. Just, I'm glad I could teach you something about Ben uh, Franklin, and I hope it appears in your series. But it's interesting, Tony, that's you. You have led the Ben Franklin good life, because now you are in a position where you wake up the way I do and our producers do. We all wake up every day in the service of someone else's success. How does it feel in your arc as to where you are now? And what are we going to leave them with a few takeaways to our listeners in the five minutes we have remaining? I look at mentorship as kind of a two-way street. So I don't look at it as arcs as much as maybe it's a continuum. And and what I mean by that is it's like... um, when you go through those years of accumulating wealth, 
Some people are better at it than others. And, and what I found, and some of the best advice I got was from one of my early mentors who had a lot more money than I did. And when I started having some success, um, he just looked me in the eye and said, never talk about money. When you're in a room, never talk about money. And obviously being young enough, I said, well, why? I've worked really hard, right? He said, because you're going to be in a room of people. There's always going to be somebody that's got more. There's always going to be somebody that's got less. And if you're talking about it, they both think you're a jerk. I look at that in a much more subtle way along the lines of mentorship. I still, that apprenticeship arc that Ben Franklin talks about for me spans the other arcs always. The day I can't, if I can't learn from you, I'm not going to waste my time sitting with you. And I mean that even with regard to, and you know I've spoken at colleges, and, and I have these kids who decide to you know, follow me on LinkedIn, and, and they reach out to me occasionally. If I have to be able to learn something from them. I am in my 50s, and, and the difference in generations now is, is so, there's such a disparity of what each of these personalities brings. So you can't even group them into Gen X, Gen Y, and baby boomers anymore. So when I meet someone in their 20s, I want to hear what they have to say. I mean, my kids, you know, there's a new, relatively new platform called TikTok. It's a social platform, and it is really predicated on short-form content. Now, I can go there and go, well, this is what I think we can do with this, 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 and this. I'll, I'll miss, and I'll screw it up, and I'll, I'll fail. But if I have a 20-something or even an 18-year-old who says, well, this is what really will work on this platform because that's our platform, I would be foolish not to listen. So my advice on, in terms of these like I said, not an arc, but a continuum, is use mentorship as a two-way street. You're never too old to be mentored, and you're never too young to mentor somebody else. So, you know, the openness and the humility to um, the willingness to be wrong. We talked about risk. Yeah. In fact, let's conclude with that. I think it's interesting that I struggle with many of my undergraduates and sometimes my graduate students. There is a fear, Mm-hmm. In fact, there are multiple fears, but that fear of failure is predominant. It is not optional. They cannot do it. It cannot happen. And yet often I talk about the failure is the feedback you need to understand how to do it better. Mm-hmm. Let's leave with that. We've got two minutes remaining, Tony. Let's talk about failure as a factor for success. It's not a factor. It's a necessity. If, you do, if, if I give you a if you get lucky and do something right the first time, you have learned nothing, nothing. So again, more as a father and much less as a CEO and a producer, I, I teach my kids and I, I, I want them to really internalize this. Your failures are your best friends. As long as your failure doesn't result in real genuine harm, of course, but don't be afraid of failure. My daughter is in an art school and one of the most competitive art schools and she's a fashion designer. Most, the majority of her time is being told what's wrong with what she's doing. And by the way, you can think something she does is great and someone else comes in and says that's garbage. It's, it's unavoidable. You can only take your failures as a factor by which you increase your margins for success. That applies to artists, <laughs> filmmakers, teachers, lawyers, doctors. Executive recruiters. I think the executive recruiters, <laughs> it covers the span of all of them. Well, Tony, first, thank you so much for coming on to A Climb to the Top, Stories of Transformation. It, it was a pleasure. It, it really was a pleasure fun. having you. And to our listeners, you have tuned in to... A Climb to the Top, Stories of Transformation. I'm Chuck Garcia. We look forward to having you tune into us next week. Thanks again, Tony. Thank you, Chuck.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.